The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to ZPod. ZPod is an extension of the Identity Matters podcast. And the Identity Matters podcast is an outreach of the Ministry of IOM America. Our mission is basically pretty simple. It's equipping the generations with the mind of Christ. Here's actually what that means. Now, I know a lot of people that are faithful listeners of our our podcasts and viewers of our media, you see that line thrown out there of equipping the generations through the mind of Christ, but I want you to slow down a little bit and just think through what it is we are saying. There are two ways to equip people. One is through the rationale and development and training programs or whatever of what man comes up with. And honestly, there's a lot of those programs that are built for discipleship that do a pretty good job of that. But the type of equipping that we are talking about is actually those who truly understand true salvation know that the Holy Spirit actually lives inside you. That leaves us with a question. The question being... Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit living inside you is truly the life of Jesus Christ? Second question. Do you believe that having the Holy Spirit live in you and knowing the Holy Spirit is Christ in you, do you believe that Christ is brainless? Now the answer to those questions is very simple. Scripture makes it very clear that we have the mind of Christ within us. So is it metaphoric or is it truly substantial fact? And our ministry believes that equipping people and generations with the mind of Christ is literally releasing the mind of Christ through the mind of the human to the listener. Or the student. We have coined the buzzword Gen Zers because there really wasn't a label available. A couple of my favorite ministries have been coining the term Gen Z. I like that one too. But seriously, each of these ministries that are willing to do research and teaching on Gen Z need to start preparing the Christian world for this next generation that's coming. So it's not just the next generation that we need to be concerned about. It is the culture they will build. The term culture itself is very important to understand. Culture is not a generation. There are many cultures in the world today within this generation. 
If Gen Z builds their own culture, we have to very carefully analyze what that culture, which is still being formed, because remember, Gen Z is two years of age to 18 years of age. So we have to evaluate unfolding statistics day by day to begin to understand the culture that they're forming. Understanding your terms and definition of terms is critical when it comes to understanding the meaning of a culture. So when you hear the buzzword Gen Z or Gen Zers or simply the Zs, you need to think about what they're really representing. You just happen to be privileged enough to be a part of the unfolding data on a daily basis that is painting a picture for us, the older generation, of this culture that is being formed. We've kind of cleverly titled our message tonight, The Anti-Everything Culture. That is what most of us ministries are calling it at this point in time. Here's our three objectives. Pretty simple stuff. Number one is we're going to be talking about following versus indwelt Christianity. Now some of our local people have heard me teach on this once or twice (laughs) but also some of my local friends and family members know that I want to be preaching the message of followers of Christ versus indwelt Christians until I die this is the primary title that God has given me to make sure shows up in everything that we teach and train people. Point number two we're going to cover is the church's greatest error. This will be very interesting for you Xers. Something so simple is going to be revealed to you tonight that it might rattle your cage a bit, particularly if you're an Xer. Third, we're going to talk about the formation of a pluralist. Sticking to statistics, that 77% of you don't even know what a pluralist is. That rattles my cage. It is the core, the root of this new culture that is being formed. Pluralist. So what does it look like when you have a pluralist church? What does it look like when you have pluralist attenders? What does it look like when you have a pluralist government? What does it look like when you have a pluralist worldview? Text me at 602-292-2982 and let me know right now if you know what a pluralist is. Here's a fact. 
piece of research you might find very interesting. The least evangelized culture in church history is Gen Z. The question being, is Gen Z prepared for the indwelling life of Christ in a post-truth world? Well, I know that we have not gone through our topic yet of the post-truth church. We're going to. It caused me to weep several times as I was collecting the data from Barna Group. It is such an incredible burden to me to know that the church age is gone and that we are now in an era where the church will never again have an influence on the people. Because the church itself does not know what truth is. So when I look at the culture, the Gen Z culture that is being formed in front of us, at the center of that is post-truth. Fifteen or twenty years from tonight, mark this date in your calendar or on your, your Google calendar. That's safer because it'll save longer. Mark this day tonight. And what you're going to find is a church that is so incredibly foreign to you that you too will be overwhelmed with sorrow. I miss Grandma's church. I would go back any day of the week to the traditional church. As most of you know, I attended the Gen Z International Conference on Tuesday. I had the privilege of listening to several of the top researchers in the world, really, the Christian world, when it comes to generational ethics and understanding what each generation is suffering with, what's happened to each one of them, and how each are overlapping into something so massively dangerous to the Christian world that they're not quite sure what it is. But they know there's an implosion coming worldwide that they're not quite sure what it is. I actually have the answer to that because it's in the Bible. He's called the Antichrist. And he needs a 100% pluralistic culture in order to multiply his final objectives here on earth. It's a must. It's the only way he's going to gain leadership control in the world today, is to have all pathways lead to one Christ. One of the things that troubled me a little bit although I would have to say that I completely am blessed by the love and commitment that Dr. Morrow has for the youth of today with Impact 360. One of his quotes is, as Christian leaders, pastors, educators, and parents, 
We want what is best for our kids. We want to see them grow up and follow Jesus for a lifetime. Now let's pretend there's these three ministries working together. We have a research ministry. We have an impact ministry that is touching the youth of the world. There needs to be a solid answer that is deeper than life itself. Now if our primary message in all that we say and do has to do with helping the listener understand the difference between following Jesus, which is external, and being indwelt by Jesus, and then following Jesus. I have no problems with leaders using the term followers or follow Jesus if they make an absolute statement on having the indwelling life of Jesus in you upon your born-again experience. This becomes my challenge as a teacher. If you're listening online, I would like to have you download that PDF. Laptops are the perfect way to listen to this podcast because your PDF will actually open in a new window. And you can take that window and separate it from the browser and it can become like a notepad right off to the side on the page that you're listening to the podcast. And then you can scroll through this PDF as you are listening to the podcast. Something new we've started in the podcast is we put tones between each diagram or each slide. When you hear this tone, you can automatically scroll to the next slide, trying to make it easy. In saying that, we have a diagram we want to show you. To the left there, you're going to see the emergent Christian, Christ follower. Underneath that title, what is it that you read? Post truth culture answer. To the right is another very different diagram. It's Christ through you. And what is the subtitle underneath that? There's a worldview for you. The two different Christendom worldviews that I'm putting in front of you right now is one, the post-truth culture answer or worldview, and the Christ is life worldview. It's not just a cute buzzword. It is a title given to show you that Christ is your life because Christ lives inside you. Thus, the mind of Christ is in you as he begins to move and breathe and view life through your mind, will, and emotions, it becomes a Christ, his life, worldview. He's the one that's giving you the worldview. Let's look at the emergent Christ follower first. At the center of that circle diagram, you find the term Adamic nature. Adamic nature is an unsaved person. They have not gone through a born-again experience and have the nature of Christ in them. They have the fallen nature of Adam. 
Now that Adamic nature, as you see the red arrow going and entering into the mind. So the mind actually becomes interested in following the principles, stories, and even life of Jesus Christ. It becomes an internal choice by an Adamic nature, unsaved person, to follow Jesus' teachings. I would love to have the percentage, Barna, of people in churches today that actually are sitting in the church because they are very interested and or committed Christ followers, but they have not actually experienced an indwelt born-again experience. So it appears as a follower of Christ's teachings that the will can make choices on what they're hearing that dumps into the emotions as affirmative positive emotions that dumps into the body as behavior and thus what we get is self-righteous behavior that looks like Christ. The term Christ-like was introduced in the early 1900s in the church It was one of the most grievous decisions that the church has ever made when it came to terminology of explaining a Christian or discipleship. We're not to be Christ-like. We're to let Christ's life be released through us. Thus, the people watching us are being given the appearance of Christ's life, not us. Christ-like puts the emphasis on acting like him, as in the case of following. What you get in the end is a Laodicean believer. This is the church that Jesus said he was going to spit out of his mouth. They weren't hot and they weren't cold. They were lukewarm. Church of Laodicea. Getting someone fired up now in in the church today or in evangelism gets you put in jail. I'm going to show you those statistics. And it is now being introduced in America under the category of a hate crime for preachers to preach certain things that are wounding, hurtful, or hateful to the human mind. Just let that blow over. It will come back and slap you soon. Maybe even literally. The diagram on the left is literally revealing to us the condition of an unsaved person acting like they are saved, can't define what indwelling salvation is, let alone being able to release Christ in them that does not exist. Now the diagram on the right, the Christ through you, you have someone who's gone through a born-again experience, and as you can see there, Christ is at the center of that circle. Christ pours his life out into your spirit, and it goes into the mind, and the mind becomes renewed by the mind of Christ, dumps into the will, the will chooses to 
experientially embrace that truth, it dumps into the emotions, you get excited about your new found embrace of truth, it dumps into the body and you don't have human behavior, you have Christ's behavior through a human body. Now there's a cross between these two circles and the emergent Christian who is simply the definition of the word Christian, Christ follower, needs to go through the cross for salvation to be indwelt. In order to be the picture-perfect view of Christ through you. If there's anyone who's curious about our ministry or curious about any of our workers or curious about me as a teacher, this is one diagram that will literally explain to you in a visual form my entire life in ministry. Nothing in life matters more to me than this. God called me to go on a spiritual retreat many years ago in Phoenix. And I had been on many retreats like that with the Lord, and on this particular one, I was begging and pleading, shouldn't have to, but that's how urgent my emotions were, begging and pleading with God to give me a life calling, a title for a life calling. If you can give me a title, I can write you an article. It's not the other way around. You understand that? Most writers write and the publisher gives it a title. Not this boy. You give me a title and I can write about it. Because the one-liners are very important. And so the Lord woke me up very strange hour at this condo, got on my knees, again sobbing, the Lord says to me, I have called you to serve the church of Laodicea. Well, I didn't know what that meant. Hadn't written a single article on the book of Revelation yet. And it all started to unfold at that point. Year after year after year after year. And now to be coming out with a four-volume set on the book of Revelation, and every one of those volumes are chock full of this message, I get it today. I get why God said, I'm not done with you yet. I'm going to take you from an 11% function rate in your heart failure to being... 45% was my last report. God saying, we are not done. You just had to be slowed down. So now my focus is becoming so lasered that, as you folks know, and many of our listeners, I'm a hated man. I look at that and go, I'm doing my job. But early on, I'm not sure that's how I looked at it. Jane said there was a time shortly after moving here to this community, I got so overwhelmed by grief, I curled up in a ball in our bed, couldn't be touched, talked to, 
or anything. And all I said to Jane was, I just want to die. And I'm like, seriously, God, why would you send me here? Well, I know the answer to that today. Our ministry has gone bonkers in outreach since not being able to minister to a local community, which is what I was used to. So I get the reason, and I'm right, and I'm ready. And this message needs to be embraced by every single indwelt believer and every unsaved person who thinks they're saved. Please carefully look at this diagram. Here's the leading misbelief of Gen Z. Perception of self-worth through the eyes of their peers. We'll be speaking more of how that actually develops, but that is the leading misbelief of Gen Zs. Peer pressure has always been a big deal, I think. I don't think this is new to Gen Z, but they seem to be under tremendous pressure because of it. Looking at the Word of God, James chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, this is one of those passages, unless the Holy Spirit has got control of your mind right now, you're going to do a blowover very quickly. Because this has got a painful set of principles built in here that are extremely offensive. James says that you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Now, most people pray about things that are going to make their life more comfortable. Honestly. This is what he's talking about. Then they get up the next day and they're whining and complaining to God for something. I call them hangnails. And I'm in that batch, by the way. We start complaining to God about our hangnails. And I just hear, I know God is not sarcastic, but I kind of hear in the back of my mind, Stephen, must we go through this again? This is serious warning. What is the reason for your conflicts in your life? What is the, he's giving us the reason. He goes on and he says, you adulteresses, ouch. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Now, I don't know about you, but my mind has the tendency to not only get into the Greek and Hebrew 
And any of you people who are listening and you enjoy studying, I want to give you a little technique. It's really easy. The heavier theologians who actually can read and write pictorial Hebrew are going to enjoy this even more. But let's do the basics. If you look up adulteresses in the Greek, you might blush. If you take that same Greek word and run it into the Hebrew, you might be shocked. He is connecting anyone who is friends with the world as whores. Now that'll go over well at 602-292-2982. Who likes to hear the word whore? Remember the story of Hosea? When God told him to go marry a whore? What was her name? Gomer. She's kind of like Gomer Pyle. And she was a whore and he basically had to buy her several times to get her and to keep her. And God kept telling Hosea to go back to his whore who kept whoring around selling Hosea's goods. He had to buy her fancy dresses and perfumes just to get her to come back home. Money spoke. That is what this is being connected to. Please remember to listen to Part B of this podcast. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, Thank you for joining us.